Thank you for the invitation to speak this morning. I'd like to give you an update on STDs and the recommendations from the CDC. That is my disclosure. So the guidelines were updated in 2015 and they're available at www.cdc.gov. So urethritis is inflammation of the urethra and this can be either infectious or non-infectious. For infectious urethritis, there are two types, gonococcal caused by Neisseria gonorrhea and non-gonococcal. The most common type of non-gonococcal urethritis is chlamydia trachomatis. It accounts for 15 to 40%. We now know that the second most common cause of non-gonococcal urethritis is mycoplasma genitalium, which accounts for 15 to 25%, and the third most common type is trichomonas. <clears throat> the diagnosis of urethritis is made in the setting of compatible symptoms. They either have mucoid or purulent discharge. If you do a gram stain of secretions, the urethral secretions, if you see greater than two white blood cells by high powered field, that is diagnostic. Gonorrhea will show up as gram-negative intracellular diplococci. This is diagnostic for this organism. You can also do a leukocyte esterase test on the first void if this is positive, or you can do a microscopy on a spun sediment of the first void showing greater than 10 white blood cells per high-powered field, also diagnostic. So this is a slide from the CDC showing the typical intracellular diplococci for gonorrhea. So, you can also, you also use methylene blue or gentian violet if you don't have a gram stain, and the gonorrhea will show up as intracellular purple diplococci. Now, if no point of care test is available, which I think would be many offices, but they meet the diagnostic criteria, you send a urine nucleic acid amplification test for both GC and chlamydia. You send them for both because there is a 15 to 40% co-infection rate between these two organisms and patients with urethritis. And then you start empiric treatment for both. Remember, no urethral swab is necessary. We have moved beyond putting swabs in the urethra. And these patients should be tested for HIV. So the treatment for gonococcal urethritis, ceftriaxone 250 milligrams IM plus azithromycin one gram orally. This is dual action to reduce the development of resistance. This has been an ongoing problem. Fluoroquinolones, um, the GC became resistant to fluoroquinolones in 2006, resistant to cifixime in 2011. This also treats the non-conococcal non urethritis, which you know has a high co-infection rate. For the NGU, you use azithromycin, one gram orally, one dose, or doxycycline, 100 twice per day for seven days. Sex partners within 60 days of exposure for NGU should be treated, and any recent or the most recent contact for GC should be recommended for treatment. So what if they have persistent or recurrent NGU? First is, did they take the antibiotics and or have they been re-exposed? At that point, you need to be thinking about mycoplasma genitalium. There's a nucleic acid amplification test which was approved just this January in 2019 that you can send. So if they had first line doxycycline, you need to give them azithromycin. If they've already had that, the next line is moxifloxacin, 400 milligrams orally for seven days. The other consideration is trichomonas. There also is a nucleic acid amplification test available for this. Treatment for trichomonas is metronidazole, two grams in one dose. Very importantly, you need to avoid alcohol 24 hours before, 24 hours after, otherwise they're gonna have a very severe reaction. 
Epididymitis occurs because of the ascension of bacteria from the urethra to the epididymis. And in acute epididymitis, the classic teaching is that sexually active men, usually those under the age of 35, will have a sexually transmitted organism, such as chlamydia or GC. And those greater than 35 usually have an infection from an organism that would cause a urinary tract infection like E. coli. Now, this is not a hard and fast rule. You can certainly have young men with E. coli and older men with a sexually transmitted disease, so you need to look at your patient and uh, treat accordingly. For diagnosis, you certainly need to rule out torsion, the appropriate age for acute uh, scrotal pain, send a urine culture, and send the nucleic acid amplification test for GC and chlamydia. So, the treatment. If you think it's from an STD, you get them ceftriaxone, 250 milligrams, IM, plus doxycycline, 100 milligrams for seven days. If there's suspicion of an enteric organism, such, such as if the patient is the insertive partner during anal intercourse, you need to use levofloxacin, 500 milligrams for 10 days. In older men with enteric organisms, the treatment is the levofloxacin for 10 days. For genital, anal, or perianal ulcers, if you're in the United States treating, you can limit the diagnosis pretty much to genital herpes or syphilis, and herpes will be much more common. Less common would be chancroid or granuloma inguinale. Lymphogranuloma venarium can occur, but very, very unlikely to happen in the U.S. These patients all need to be tested for HIV. You need to biopsy the ulcers if they're refractory to initial therapy, and even after an appropriate workup. 25% of patients will not have a lab diagnosis. Genital herpes causes a painful multiple vesicular or ulcerative lesion. Most are HSV2. There's an increasing incidence in HSV1 in young women and in men who have sex with men. So a patient who has a genital ulcer from HSV2 is much more likely to have a recurrence than if they're infected with HSV1. Remember, these are lifelong infections. They don't go away. Transmission is often by asymptomatic persons, those who, have the, who do not have lesions but are infected. The diagnosis used to be by culture. This is very insensitive. And now, if you can scrape the lesion, you send it for PCR. Also, we do serologic testing for type-specific HSV antibodies. The antibodies develop within about four weeks. We want to send off the IgG antibody on your test. This is a picture from the CDC of what these ulcers look like. And this is a recurrent, a little smaller, but you can see the vesicles. So the treatment. Remember that the drugs control the signs and symptoms of HSV. They do not eradicate the virus. And it also, even with treatment, there's no change in the risk, frequency, or severity of recurrences. For the first case of clinical herpes, you use acyclovir, and this is five times per day. And you also use valcyclovir and famcyclovir. These drugs are, have the equivalent coverage as acyclovir, but much better bioavailability and can be dosed less frequently. For episodic recurrences, you can use a shorter duration in the order of three to five days. Suppressive therapy is indicated for recurrent genital herpes, uh, defined as six or more episodes per year. You can use daily acyclovir. There are two doses of valacyclovir, depending upon how frequent the recurrences are, or famcyclovir. Now, if you treat them for recurrent herpes, you can decrease the amount of recurrence by 70 to 80 percent. So the recommendation is about, say, once a year, stop and reassess for the frequency of recurrences of the herpetic episodes. Sex partners should be evaluated, <clears throat> so referred for evaluation and counseling. Syphilis is caused by Treponita pallidum. This is a spirochete bacteria. The primary stage occurs at the area of inoculation. It will give you a painless ulcer, which is called a chancre. <clears throat> Secondary syphilis occurs because eventually this becomes a systemic infection. And you get non-genital skin lesions. The classic are the hands and feet, occurring in 75% of patients with secondary syphilis. You also get lymphadenopathy. 
Eventually, you get tertiary syphilis in 35% of patients who are untreated. You can get gummers or granulomas, which are coalescent lesions. You get these in the liver, the skin, and the bones. It can also affect the cardiovascular system, most commonly the aorta and the coronary arteries. Neurologic syphilis can be seen in the second or third stage, occurs much later, years later. It can affect the brain or the spinal cord, and the spinal cord infection is called tabes dorsalis. Latent infections are patients who are asymptomatic but test positive for syphilis. If, they are, if you know it has occurred within the last year, if they have only one uh, exposure in a year or prior test, that is latent infections. If it's unknown or beyond a year, it's called late latent. This is it from the CDC. This is a Shanker at the primary site of infection. This is a secondary syphilis classic for the soles of the feet and the palms of the hands. So diagnosis, you scrape the ulcer and use a dark field examination. Why do you do a dark field? Because it's much better for looking at unstained tissue. Also, we do serologic tests. These are a presumptive diagnosis, and you need to do one of each of these tests. There are two kinds of tests. Non-treponemal, which actually measures anti-cardiolipin antibodies. These are lipids that are released from the cells as they lyse during the infection and are also present on the treponeme, and treponemal tests, which are specific for syphilis. So this is a picture of the spirochete in the dark field. You can see the spiral nature of it, and that's treponina pallidum. The non-treponemal tests include the VDRL, Venereal Disease Research Laboratory, and the RPR, Rapid Plasma Reagent. These are sensitive to use for screening and to monitor treatment. They go up and down with treatment effect. A four-fold change in titer is considered diagnostic. Treponemal tests include the fluorescent treponidal antibody absorb tests and the T-palladium passive particle agglutination. These are positive for life, except rarely in patients who are treated early for primary syphilis. Sometimes these are used now first. Classically, you do a non-treponemal than a treponemal. Some labs now are doing a treponemal first. It's better for diagnosis than someone who's, who has a prior infection who is untreated or undertreated. So the treatment, penicillin, but different forms of penicillin depending upon what you're treating. Because some forms of penicillin will not penetrate the CNS or the aqueous humor. So it's benzathine penicillin for non-rosyphilis, and for neurosyphilis, it's aqueous crystalline. You do a follow-up with the uh, non-treponemal test at 6 and 12 months. You can have what's called a jarish herxheimer reaction, which is an acute febrile reaction within 24 hours of starting treatment. This is not an allergic reaction to the penicillin. This is from release of cytokines from the bacteria. Sex partners should be referred for treatment if it's within 90 days of exposure for primary. If they're greater than 90 days but have a positive serology, they still need to be referred and treated. Chancroid is from Haemophilus ducrae. You see a painful ulcer, commonly have tender separate lymph nodes. The diagnosis can be made on a culture of H. ducrae, but this is only 80% sensitive. Essentially, this is a diagnosis of exclusion. If you have an ulcer and syphilis and herpes have been ruled out, you can make a presumptive diagnosis of chancroid. The treatment is a single dose of azithromycin or ceftriaxone, and sex partners need to be referred if they're exposed within 10 days. Here's the lesion of chancroid, and here's a characteristic lymphadenopathy. Granuloma inguinale is from Klebsiella granulomatis, formerly known as Calaminobacter granulomatis. It's a gram-negative intracellular bacteria. <clears throat> it gives painless ulcers, highly vascular, often called velvety or looks like granulation tissue with no lymphadenopathy. Diagnosis is Donovan bodies on a crush prep. There are gram-negative rods inside of white cells. Treatment is with azithromycin, one gram for one week or 500 for three weeks, and sex partners need to be referred within 60 days. This is the lesion of granuloma inguinale, kind of velvety looking. 
Lymphogranuloma venereum is from chlamydia trachomata serotypes L1, 2, or 3. These are different than those that cause urethritis from chlamydia. Diagnosis is with a small ulcer, and often this may be resolved. You can see large lymph nodes, typically unilateral, femoral, and inguinal. Tissue specimen is tested by chlamydia, uh, for chlamydia by PCR. This, this takes a long time. If you ever see someone who thinks have, has lymphogranuloma venereum, you need to start empiric therapy and then wait for the test to come back, because it takes a long time. Doxycycline, 100 twice per day for 21 days, and sex partners should be referred within 60 days of exposure. This is the lesion that commonly may be gone by the time you see them. And this is the inguinal adenopathy. Genital warts, there are 100 different types of HPV, of which 40 infect the genitalia. For our purposes, the most important would be HPV 6 and 11, which cause the non-oncogenic types of the warts. They actually cause 90% of genital warts. HPV 16 and 18 cause 70% of HPV-induced cancers, including cervix, penile, vulvar, and anal. Remember, treatment does not eradicate the virus. You're treating the lesion, but not the virus. Do a diagnosis if the biopsy is uncertain or the patients do not respond to therapy, if the lesion is pigmented, ulcerated, or the patient is immunocompromised. So there are many different treatments. There are patient-applied treatments and provider treatments. The patient-applied treatments include pedophilox, which is antimitotic, imiquimod or aldari, you can use 5%, which is three times a week, or there's a generic 3.5%, which is every day. Synecatechins, 15%, which reduces HPV gene products. For provider-administered, there is cryotherapy with liquid nitrogen, trichloroacetic acid, laser surgery. You can use CO2, you can, which is what we use, or you can use tangential scissor or shave excision. So one of the updates from the CDC is when or how patients get vaccinated for HPV. There are three different vaccines that get HPV at this point. One gets two subtypes, one gets four subtypes, and one gets nine subtypes. Males get vaccinated up to age 21, females up to age 26. The vaccination starts at age 9 through 14, and now these patients can get two doses of vaccine. It used to be three. So they get two doses. The second dose should be given 6 to 12 months later. Everyone else gets three, and this is for persons who are initiate at ages 15 through 26 years and those patients who are immunocompromised. So there are many other things in the guidelines, including vaginitis. We saw from the recurrent UTI. I think it's important to look, look at this. There are special populations that if you see these patients, you need to refer to the guidelines and see what is different about the treatment in these folks. That includes pregnant women, adolescents, persons in correctional facilities, men who have sex with men, women who have sex with women, and persons who are transgender. So I strongly encourage you to look at the CDC website. It's great. It's very logically organized. Or use a DAP or, or get the app. I think this is very helpful in clinical practice on a daily basis. Thank you. Thank mm -hmm. you.